got a few visitors here today, and, and you're welcome. Probably a fair amount of people here who don't know me. So I thought I'd give you just a quick bullet point list of, about me and my life so you aren't just listening to a stranger talk about the Bible. So you feel like you come to know me. Um, and I asked a friend of mine to name five things about me that if you get these things, you'll understand me in, in some way, kind of like the basics. And the things she said were uh, the musical Hamilton. If you've ever listened to that, you'll understand a large part of who I am. It's a hip-hop musical about American history, but it's much better than that sounds. Um, Studio Ghibli, a Japanese animation studio that I kind of obsess about and wear T-shirts with characters from it and that kind of thing. Um, my family, and specifically my three nephews who have been on this stage before. Walking in the outdoors. Um, that photo was one I took on the island of St. Kilda, which is um, really, really far away and very remote, um, but it was great. Just been walking there recently. And uh, my writing. So those are the five things that she reckoned. And my writing, I... Um, I write about travel and film and um, occasionally some fiction. Um, and so that's just a little bit about me. It's largely irrelevant, but, you know, this way you don't feel like I'm a stranger on stage. Um, and today I'm going to be talking about essentially how we share the gospel. Um, we've been talking a lot uh, about the hope that we have in our lives um, and how that hope applies today. You know, we've talked about hope in marriage, hope in politics, um, and it's been really inspiring to hear about the impact that God makes in our lives. But today, I'm going to encourage us to uh, share that hope with other people and maybe come up with one or two tips about how we do that. Um, and if, if you're here and you, you know, perhaps you're not a Christian, perhaps uh, you've just come out of curiosity, then you're, you might be getting a little bit scared right now, thinking, oh no, I knew it. I knew they were all out to convert us, and this is proof. Um, but don't worry, it's not that sinister at all. Basically, the Bible tells us regularly to share our faith um, with other people. And it's just because it's an incredibly important part of our lives. We think it's a good thing. We think it's life-changing. And, and we are told to share that. Um, people talk about their passions all the time. But instead of your friend showing you holiday photos, this is like someone offering to buy you tickets to that same place. And that's why we do it. Um, Christians here, you might be equally worried. You might be thinking, oh no, another guilt trip. I've not talked about God to anyone for at least three months. And even then, I was just saying, God bless you to someone sneezing. <laughs> um, but don't worry, there's no judgment here. We all struggle with sharing the gospel. We, we don't share it as much as we'd like to. Um, and really, that's why we have sermons that encourage us to share the gospel and provoke us. So hopefully today, you'll feel inspired, maybe a little bit provoked, but there's, there's no judgment here for anyone that feels like they don't do it enough. Um, because we, we have this amazing news, this good news, this gospel that we have to share. Um, and the Bible tells us not to hide your light under a bushel. Um, so it's, it's such an important thing for us. So I'm going to look at three aspects of sharing the gospel. I'm going to look at being constantly ready to share your faith. Um, I'm going to look at sharing the, gospelness, sharing the gospel with gentleness and respect. And finally, I'm going to find out about how our hope is both uh, our inspiration and our message. So let's get into the passage. Uh, it's um, in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Um, I'm just going to pray. Dave, could you get me a glass of water while I do? Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, God, would you come and speak to us today um, as we look through this passage, as um, we look to you, Christ, as the one who was wholly righteous and came to die for the unrighteous. And as we look at that and look at your good news, would you be with us? Would you speak to us? Um, and, yeah, just come and, we, come and your spirit just remain among us now, Lord Jesus. We want this all to be for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, this passage suggests that sharing the gospel should be a frequent occurrence. It tells us to always have a ready answer. Although, in um, one of the translations I read, the ESV, it says we should have a ready defense. Whereas uh, this, this version, um, which I think was the NIV, said have a ready answer. And actually, in the context of this verse about suffering because of righteousness' sake, it almost implies defense as a legal term. Um, like you're going to be in court and you need to have a ready defense for the hope that you have. Um, and for some of us, that actually might one day be the case. Um, it's not fear-mongering at all. It, just, it could happen. It's reasonable to believe that in the future some of us might end up in court and have to come up with a defense of our faith. But I think um, for most of us, it's more about having a ready answer um, about anyone who asks us for the reason for our hope. And the implication in that is that people are going to ask us the reason for our hope. And I think that's because they notice something different in us. They look at us and they see the hope that, they, that we have, and they want to know why we have it. Um, they see something they want, and they want to ask how we got it. Um, now, I'm not saying that Christians are better people. Um, we haven't achieved more at all. But part of the hope we have in God is that he's going to change us. And I do think there's something distinctive about the hope that we have in quite a hopeless world. So, so it's bound to attract questions. It's like when people often ask me, Nathaniel, how do you stay so buff? And I always have an answer. It's a strict gym regime and a bag of kale for dinner each night. Here's a photo of me after a recent workout. Um, no, but in all seriousness, though... Uh, we can lose that slide now, yeah, cheers. <laughs> um, thanks to George for that Photoshop job. Um, <laughs> evidently, evidently, I don't, uh, I don't work out, but there is something... Uh, you ask someone who goes to the gym, you know, how do you stay so fit? And I'm sure they will talk you through every step of their process. Um, and actually, I believe that the things that people see in us are... Um, more noticeable than just a guy who's really ripped. It's, the, it's an internal thing, and it's going to be the kind of thing that causes people's heads to turn. You walk into the room, and people will notice something different about you, and that's the power of the gospel in you. It's the power of God in you, changing you. And so they'll ask about it. So we need to have a ready answer. 
So, if someone was to ask you now, why do you have a hope? What is your hope? Where does your hope lie? Would you be able to summarize it in a couple of minutes? I think it's worth thinking about, and I think it's maybe uh, a challenge. And maybe try and think of ready answers for different contexts. Maybe if you work in uh, a school and one of your kids asks you that, it's going to need to be phrased slightly differently to if it's your neighbor. Um, Different friendship groups. There are different ways you can answer that question. But Peter's clear. Always have a ready answer. And I think we also need to seek these conversations out. Um, There are many different ways you can bring God into a conversation, um, and not all of them are immediately launching into a treatise on sin. We don't want to be annoyingly insistent, like the kind of people who just bring up the same topic every single time you're having a conversation, because friendships aren't built that way. Um, But do try and make it a part of your everyday conversation. That could be a number of things. A quick offer of prayer to a sick colleague. Um, When you're in a taxi or in the hairdressers and you're kind of captive there because, you know, you're stuck with a stranger for a certain amount of time, um, you can talk to them then. When someone asks you about your weekend, mention the absolutely incredible sermon you heard at church. Um, Invite people to Alpha or the carol service. There are Uh, many, many different ways you can bring God into conversation. I'm personally, I'm always most reluctant on public transport uh, because public transport for me is reading time and I don't want to talk to strangers then. But sometimes it's thrust upon you. And recently I was on a flight and um, there was a bee trapped in in the plane and everyone was stressing out because obviously it's a sealed thing and you can't let the bee out halfway through a flight. Um, so, So... uh, the gentleman next to me was hunting the bee down. It eventually landed next to me, started bashing the bee. And so we, we ended up in conversation. And I was like, I'm clearly trying to read Swallows and Amazons here. But once you've killed a bee together, that's it. <laughs> Bonded for life. Anyway, he was very talkative. And eventually, I got into the flow of the conversation. And he, it was amazing. He turned out to be a bioengineer who has worked on disease elimination programs for Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I, I genuinely didn't believe him at first, and I Googled him afterwards, and it turned out he was, just because of the way he delivered it. It was just this really matter-of-fact thing. And he was, it was amazing to chat to him, and we ended up talking about God and purpose in life and that kind of thing. And if I'd have stayed reluctant and stayed reading Swallows and Amazons, then I wouldn't have had that conversation. And um, I will probably never see this man again, but there's, there's an instant... Uh, impact that you can make when you're just sowing a seed. So always look for these opportunities. They could be a game changer. Um, As I was preparing this, I felt like there were people, uh, there were going to be people here today who are constantly reluctant to ever have a conversation about God, um, to the extent of even actively avoiding it. Um, And there are maybe even some people here today who I think need to repent of a hard-heartedness towards evangelism, of thinking, no, that's not for me, however many times you hear this kind of talk. But also, as I was preparing it, I felt that God was telling me that for those people, if if you're one of them who who has that reluctance or that stubbornness to not evangelize, I felt like God was telling me that if you come to him today, he's going to give you fresh faith for evangelism and a new heart for it as well, so that you're going to leave here feeling... um, emboldened and uh, filled with the power of God to be able to do that. 
So that's the first thing. Always have a ready answer. Secondly, um, we're told to uh, share our hope with gentleness and respect. And there's a great tradition in Christianity of, you know, fire and brimstone preachers, people who loudly proclaim the judgment of God from street corners or, more latterly, YouTube comment sections. Um, you know, people where the predominant bit of language is, is judgment. Um, and we're, here we're told gentleness and respect. And um, I knew I was speaking on this passage when a few weeks ago uh, Dave Hill came and spoke, and he said, uh, we're going to be offensive. Christians are going to be offensive. And I was like, ooh, what do I think about that? Um, and uh, I think he's right, but um, my message is a little less edgy than that today. I'm here to say, tone it down a little bit. Um, the way I see the Bible telling us to evangelize is outlined clearly here, and it, it is with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Now, this obviously needs unpacking. Am I saying that Dave Hill was uh, wrong? Am I slagging off his sermon? That would be a little rude. Not at all. Um, we are going to offend people, even when we're the most mild-mannered and gentle and respectful. It's going to be offensive. Dave wasn't telling us to go out and be unpleasant. Anyone who knows Dave, I mean, he's hardly that kind of guy that's just going to go out and be rude to people, shout hellfire in their face or something. <laughs> he was just saying that being a Christian is offensive. Um, and some of our like, core things that we hold dear, like dependence on God or the inability of humans to get stuff right, those are massively unpopular outlooks to have these days. Um, you know, when you're basically saying, no, don't be yourself, you're flying in the face of, you know, the contemporary outlook of what humans are like and, you know, decades of Disney films. <laughs> what I'm saying is we need to choose what we're offensive about. And we have to be sensitive to language and show honor to the people we interact with by engaging in a dialogue and not throwing up barriers by using offensive language or addressing particularly hostile theology straight away. One of the ways we cultivate an atmosphere of respect is by using politically correct language, and I think that's a good thing. Now, political correctness is not the be-all and end-all, um, and it's obviously it's quite a nuanced term, but I think it's a useful, term, uh, a useful tool for creating respect and gentleness in your conversations. And it's the predominant language of discourse outside of church today. Political, politically correct language is how people talk about big issues today. And so it makes sense for us to adapt our language to that, to speak the language so we can be part of the discourse. But it's also a modern name for a timeless principle, which is value people. So that's how I see gentleness and respect. And the temptation for me, for people like me, is often to then pull our punches when evangelizing, maybe avoiding anything controversial or not mentioning words like sin and judgment. That's definitely not what I'm saying, and I think you need to stand firm in your convictions. And um, later on in this passage, Peter references Noah um, as, uh, as telling people about their unrighteousness. And Noah, you know, he was a minority in a hostile environment, and he did not shy away from addressing the oncoming judgment of God. There are definitely appropriate times and contexts for hard-hitting conversations, and people need to hear uncomfortable truths. But the message here remains that we share our hope with gentleness and respect. Look at how Jesus 
interacted with people. Uh, when there was a woman at the well who came out to him um, to get some water, he opened with a conversation about the water of life and never being thirsty again. And he was saying, here's what I can offer you. Here's what I can give you. And it was only after that that he brought up the fact that she'd been married five times and even now was being unfaithful. With Zacchaeus, he didn't bash him over the head with a copy of The Guardian and yell, Occupy Galilee. He went to dinner with him. Um, Essentially, I think for many, many people, putting their trust in an invisible being and believing that a man from first century Palestine was actually God incarnate is already incredibly baffling. And that would be enough to get your head around without then his followers seeming brash and out of touch. And we want a clear conscience. That's what it says here, with a clear conscience in case those who speak maliciously against your good behavior may be ashamed of their slander. And people are going to speak maliciously about us. It's happening in the media already. People deliberately seek offense. And if we ever get accused, we want to be able to hold our heads up and say, I, I was respectful the whole time. So I think the kind of takeaway from this, if you like, is that we need to learn the appropriate language and listen to the experiences of people with totally different lives to our own. Don't be on the constant defense with these things. It takes a bit of effort to learn what is and isn't appropriate to say. Um, but it's worth it because it's, it's, it's showing compassion and value to the people we interact with. And it opens up a lot more conversations that would otherwise be shut down with perhaps just a careless phrase. Now, the thing is, nice language is just a... a tool for conversations, but it's not what's going to change anything at all. Our greatest weapon, the thing that will change hearts, is hope. And our message is a message of hope, which brings me on to my final point, which is that hope beats fear every time. And now, hope is something that's been instilled in me since my youth. Um, there's a story from when I was about six, I don't really remember it, but it's been relayed to me since. My older brothers, Simeon and Joel, were playing a game. I think they were building something. Um, Joel wasn't very good at it. And so Simeon just said, Oh, Joel, you're hopeless. Mum heard this from the other side of the room, from the other side of the house, came charging into the room, shouting at the top of her voice, Simeon, nobody is hopeless! Which I think is a, a lovely uh, story about you know, my mum's outlook on life, but that idea that nobody is hopeless is something that's kind of, um, that's been important to me since those days. Um, And hope beating fear is important both for us as an encouragement in our evangelism to be bold to the people we speak to, and it's the centre of our message. So, Peter does suggest that some might suffer as a result of sharing the gospel. When he's telling the Christians he's writing to not to fear any threats, that's because they've had threats. So this is a very real situation to them. And suffering for the sake of righteousness seemed like a likely outcome. But it comes with some good news. Firstly, in verse 13, it says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? 
And most people are willing and open to people being zealous for good. If you stand for something that's immensely appealing in today's world. And here in the UK, at the moment, very few of us will encounter um, violent or legal hostility for our faith. Uh, It could happen. Um, And yes, there are gradual encroachments of religious freedoms in the UK, but um, as of last year, the UK is still the seventh best country in the world for religious freedom. Um, And the fact that we can worship together, uh, the fact that... um, you know, we can preach from stage and pretty much say what we want is, is a sign of that, and it's something that the UK actually values. Obviously, there are some jobs uh, where you do need to guard uh, how you share your faith a lot more, and I, I'm aware of that, and I work from home, so it's not really a risk for me, but for uh, people in the public sector, um, I understand that it's um, intimidating and the threat of losing your job is real. But I think when Peter's saying, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good, he's capturing something here that actually we are doing good and more of the time than not, we're going to be greeted with people who want to hear what we have to say, who want to hear about hope and goodness. And I think that should encourage us. And when we do suffer, it comes with blessings. So... There's a physical and spiritual divide at play here. Because it talks about Jesus being put to death in the body, but being made alive in the spirit. And any damage done to our bodies, our physical bodies, for the sake of righteousness, is temporary relative to the spiritual blessings that come through suffering for righteousness' sake. I think that possibly looks like people coming to know Jesus. Um, that the blessings we get when we suffer for righteousness' sake are um, people being added to the kingdom, people being rescued from darkness. And so that kind of thing is just entirely worth it for um, any sufferings that we might have on this earth. And there is a promise of blessing that comes with it. And we're told not to fear because we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. And though Jesus was wholly righteous, he was punished for the sake of the unrighteous. And when we're given Jesus' righteousness, we're told that there's going to be some of his suffering alongside it too. So we're following in his footsteps. And then how do we combat that fear when we're called to share the gospel? Well, it says in this passage in verse 15, we set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. Fearing others is not seeing God in his right place. So in order to get rid of fear we need to put God back in his place as Lord of our lives as opposed to the thing we're fearing. And when we see the magnificence of Jesus and the things that he's achieved and his power and the fact that he's seated on high, all fear fades away. It's not enough to just say, don't be silly, don't be scared. We have to look to the thing that gives us reason to not have fear, and that's Jesus. So, hope beats fear is our, um, our motivation. It, it should embolden us to share the gospel more readily. But it's also our message. People live in fear these days. Everyone fears different things. But there is an atmosphere of fear. 
in the UK at the moment, say. Fear could be um, terrorism. It could be the economy failing. It could be political oppression. It might just be death of you or of a loved one. So take a moment to think about what your neighbours or your colleagues or your friends might fear. Because it's very present. It's very real. Dictators use fear to control people, but hope sets people free. So this is a common theme in sort of dystopian literature, all of these horrifying visions of the future. 1984, the government punishes people by putting them in a room full of room 101, um, the, which is a room full of the things they fear the most. So the, for the character in the book, it's rats. For me, it would be a bunch of people telling me I'm a mediocre writer. Um, I just, I, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And they use that to um, control people. In the Hunger Games, um, they have violent peacekeepers. And obviously the games themselves, this brutal game show that they use to keep the population in check. But it's real life too. Dictators throughout history have used fear of outsiders, of others, to, um, to control the population. And actually you see it happening at the moment. That's, why, um, that's how Trump is running his campaign, is on fear. Um, and I think the problem is that there's no one offering any real sense of hope. The devil thrives on fear. It leaves people trapped and paralyzed and unable to act, and the devil likes that. But what does this fear that's seemingly everywhere have to do with this part of Peter? Well, the reason that we always need to have a ready answer for the hope that we have is that hope beats fear. We're bringing, to hope, we're bringing hope into places without it. We're bringing light into darkness. Good news in a media cycle of constant misery. People need to hear this, and once they realize it, they will welcome it. There's an old hymn I love, um, And Can It Be? And it features a verse that says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's might. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, and I woke... The dungeon flamed with light. My chains, chains fell off. My heart was free. A rose went forth and followed thee. What prisoner doesn't want to be set free? We're messengers telling people in prison to wake up and see the dungeon blazing with light. Your chains are gone. We're the people who have to take the role of my mum, charging into a situation and saying nobody is hopeless often to people who will look at themselves in the mirror each day and say, I'm hopeless. And we're the ones that have to say, nobody is hopeless. And that's part of our message, that there's hope for everyone. What is this message we're bringing? Peter sums it up well. For Christ died for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's the power of the gospel. Sacrificial love. Restored relationships with God. Hope where there was none. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't know Jesus, you don't know this hope, then this message is for you too. Because Christ died for all. There is hope for you. Hope for your life. Hope beyond the darkness of this world. Hope to be given everything you need to face the trials that life throws at you. And if you're the kind of person that looks at themselves and thinks, I'm hopeless, I'm here to tell you today, 
and the book of 1 Peter is too, and in fact, all the Bible say that nobody is hopeless. You are not hopeless, and that Christ died for you. If you're here and you know Christ, then you know the impact he can have on your life, and you know that he can do that for other people too. So let's remind ourselves of the power of the gospel. Let's remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us and let that stir us to evangelism and cast out all fear. Um, If the band could come back up now. I want us to respond in a a few ways. Um, Firstly, if you're here and you want more faith to be able to share the gospel, if you want more faith to be able to share your hope or... Uh, to get rid of any fear you have about it or reluctance or hard-heartedness, then um, I'm going to ask you to come forward in a second because we can pray for the hope of Christ to cast out all fear. We can pray for renewed faith, renewed boldness. Secondly, if you're here and you don't know Jesus personally and you want some of the hope that I've been talking about, he can give that to you. And so if you could come forward as well, and uh, we're going to have some people just up here at the side, um, and they're going to be praying for you um, or just talking to you about it. So you can ask some more questions. Or you can come and speak to me at the end.